HMP. Welcome to Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I'm Buzz Heisenberg. And we welcome back to our show Michael Clare, who is the Northampton-based defense correspondent for The Nation magazine, professor emeritus of peace and world security studies at Hampshire College, prolific author on national defense and related issues. Professor Michael Clare, thank you so much for being back with us today. I really appreciate your time, particularly this day. I have been confused, disturbed uh, by the Republican Party's position and their leading candidates' positions on Ukraine, which will be a matter of significant discussion, I assume, uh, on the debate that is in the debate that is happening tonight. The Democrats seem united in support of Ukraine, in support of this war in Ukraine. The Republicans, the pro-war, pro-defense, uh, so national security at literally sometimes all costs party, now seems to be taking the position of we're just for peace. We should walk away from Ukraine. We don't need to give billions and billions and hundreds of billions of dollars to Ukraine. We don't need to help supply them with munitions and military uh, military might. It seems to me there's this bizarre switch in American politics, and there is no real anti-war movement of any size here in the United States. And I'm wondering what you make of this. So that's such a, it is such a strange moment, Bill, and hard to decipher exactly what's going on. But this also goes back to the debate about what makes America great again. You know, it this has a history. The Biden administration insists that what makes America great is American leadership and a united Western world, a, a liberal world order in which the U.S. is the lead party uh, aimed at containing the forces of authoritarianism led first of all by China and then Russia and Iran and North Korea with the U.S. In, in, in leading a drive to contain those countries and the Ukraine war as the leading front in this global struggle. The uh, MAGA forces led by uh, former President Trump in going back to his 2016 campaign, saying that to make America great again requires focusing entirely on building up the United States at all costs and to uh, abandon this notion of the US leading the free world um, carrying on its shoulders, you know, with NATO doing very little, uh, but the United States carrying the burden of Western defense. And the Republicans, many of the Republican candidates are following that Trumpian line that the United States is carrying too much of the burden of Western defense, and we should focus more on uh, our own defense and our own economy and uh, and let the NATO countries in Japan and South Korea carry more of the burden themselves and the Ukrainians uh, should carry their the, the burden of their own defense against Russia and not the American taxpayer so it's it's kind of an ideological split within the American leadership over uh, who bears the burden of of global leadership 
with the with the Repu and the Republicans are divided over this. There are many establishment Republicans who still cling to the belief uh, the neo uh, the, the neo um, what, what the, the 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 line that the U.S. has to take the leadership role in containing the forces of authoritarianism. Uh, so there, the Republicans are divided. That said, the position of the Biden administration has been that Ukraine is actually an essential, uh, is, is essential to the security interests of the United States. Do you agree with that? The Biden administration certainly thinks that. And remember, I've said this before uh, on on your show, that for the Biden administration, the primary the primary thrust in the global struggle to contain authoritarianism is China. That's where the that's that's the China is the number one threat to American domination of the planet, and you. And Russia is uh, is China's uh, principal ally in this global struggle, and Russia has invaded Ukraine, and therefore Ukraine is a is a crucial front in weakening Russia, and weakening Russia, China's ally. So for for the top leadership in Washington. Uh, it, it, Ukraine is not the central front, China and Taiwan is, but by arming Ukraine to defeat Russia, the U.S. is weakening its principal adversary, China. And so, yes, this is a, this is a, this, the, the united position of the Biden administration, but always with China in the background. We're speaking with Michael Clare, the Northampton-based defense correspondent for The Nation magazine, Professor Emeritus of Peace and World Security Studies at Hampshire College. I had planned to ask you later on in the show, Michael, about China and in particular about the BRICS summit. But since you've mentioned China already, let's turn to BRICS and then we're going to get back to some of the battlefield uh, strategies going on in Ukraine today, front page story in today's New York Times I'd like to ask you about this BRICS summit. The headline in the Times is at much-watched BRICS summit. Putin tries to rally support from afar. BRICS, something that I don't think most of us think much about most of the time, uh, is now very much in the news. There is a summit going on in Johannesburg, South Africa. BRICS stands for what and why is it important? BRICS uh, stands for the initials of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. These are five leading countries of the developing world. Well, China likes to consider itself a leader of the developing world. So does Russia. You know, uh, they take this position. Uh, so this is meant to be a counter to the G8. The G8 or the G7 is the leadership of the Western capitalist powers, the United States and Japan, Canada, Germany, France, and Italy. 
those are the powerful economies of the West and they meet periodically and they kind of set policy for the Western capitalist countries. And, and because they represent such a large share of the world uh, economy, do, do, the G7 do carry enormous weight. So the BRICS are an attempt by the, the other powerful economies to create a alternative economic powerhouse. Uh, and they've been meeting for a while. But I, I, let me let me let me let me ask you about that, and I don't mean to interrupt, but my yeah. impression of BRICS is that for its 15 years existence as an organization, it's mostly been a coffee clutch where they get together and talk, and BRICS doesn't actually do very much. That changed in some ways by becoming very prominent news this year because Putin wouldn't go to South Africa because there is an arrest warrant for him from the International Court in The Hague on account of war crimes he allegedly committed, and I believe he has committed, in the Ukraine. Has this changed? Has BRICS position changed in the world? Uh, no. I, see, I, I think that, that the BRICS uh, is o overhyped by themselves and, and by the media because uh, the G7, the capitalist countries, really have a common identity and, and a shared view of the world. The BRICS do not have that common identity. You have China, which seeks to be a dominant power itself to compete with the United States. But then you have India, which has different notions altogether. It wants to be a dominant power independent of China and the United States. And Brazil and South Africa, they're just trying to find their way to maneuver their way between the West and the East. And in between is Russia, which is trying to uh, find, uh, trying to gain allies uh, uh, in the war against Ukraine. So these countries do not have a common agenda in comparison to the G7 Western economies. But they pretend they do, or they act. They speak as if they do. The, a common agenda of of creating a counterweight to the Western powers. Now, what made what made this one so important is the war in Ukraine, and the sense that uh, this could be an opportunity for Russia, uh, especially if Putin were there in person to try, try to rally support for uh, the Russian position uh, on the war in Ukraine. But he can't be there in person, as you noted, because uh, President Ramaphosa of South Africa is under pressure to arrest him if he were to show up on South African territory in line, as you said, with the warrant from the International Criminal Court. Let me make a quick note as we were going on the air today. There was a piece on my news feed. This relates to your comment about India. In latest moon race, India lands first in southern polar region on the moon. India becoming an international force in outer space. That's after Russian's moon landing ended in a disaster. Yes, the Russian module crashed That's on right. the moon yesterday. I would like to ask you about another piece about BRICS, and it has to do with something 
It is directly related to Ukraine and to the world food supplies because Russia has pulled out of the deal that allowed grain to be shipped from Ukraine, notwithstanding the war. And I think this potentially has enormous impact on the availability of grain and food throughout Africa and many other parts of the world. And I'm wondering whether or not you believe that this is of great significance. It's receded in terms of news coverage, but it seems to me that Ukraine as the breadbasket of the world, uh, in addition to or as uh, or as a supplement to the United States, um, this is a potentially enormous consequence. Is it? Oh, absolutely. Uh, this is the one success that uh, the United Nations has had and diplomacy has had up until now in arranging for the uh, export of Ukrainian grain through the Black Sea. The Black Sea is the crucial conduit for Ukrainian grain exports through the Dardanelles and into the Mediterranean and and the Suez Canal to other parts of the world. Uh, the Russians have now said they're not going to abide by that agreement and they're going to treat any Ukrainian grain exports as a potential act of war and they're going to sink those ships. And there are some reports today of Russia attacking Ukrainian ships. Uh, so this is very, it just came up. I, I don't know the details. But this has been a terrible blow to the food needs of Africa and other parts of the world that are dependent on Ukrainian grain imports. Now, Russia has tried to uh, ameliorate this concern in Africa by offering to give free grain, so they say, uh, to some of those countries. But most African countries, I think, are treating this Russian offer as, as just a ploy to um, soften the blow of Russia's attack on Ukrainian grain exports. And it's part of the reason uh, that Russia's summit meeting with African countries last month was something of a dud. Uh, the, the Russians uh, invited all of the leaders of African states to St. Petersburg for a summit and only half of them showed up and they were very lukewarm about uh, future ties with Russia and it's largely due to the fact that Russia continues to block uh, Ukrainian grain supplies and has been bombing granaries in Odessa and elsewhere in Ukraine, destroying food. That's the most horrendous thing you could imagine, not to mention being a war crime. We are speaking with Michael Clare, defense correspondent for The Nation magazine. On the front page of today's New York Times, troop positions preventing gains by Kiev, U.S. says shift in tactics urged firepower is spread too thin to pierce Russian defenses in the south. That's in Ukraine. We'll find out Michael Clare's perspective on that right after this. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. If we didn't, 
go for this project, the cost to repair the schools is estimated at 80 million, and we don't get help with that. So this vote is the absolutely the smartest financial choice, and it's getting a building that we desperately need for our educators and for our students. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP. News, information, and the arts. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Local farmers are arriving at the co-op every day with summer berries, corn, tomatoes, and watermelon, and endless bounty. At the co-op seafood counter, little neck clams are rolling in. What goes better with corn and tomatoes than sweet, briny little necks? No time to cook today? The co-op makes pizza, sandwiches, burgers, sushi, and smoothies, and they make it all from scratch. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Pioneer Valley's newspaper covering Holyoke to Deerfield and Belchertown to the Hilltowns, was awarded New England Newspaper of the Year for their local news coverage. Home delivered six days a week and online 24-7. Try their digital-only subscription options and stay connected with your community wherever you are. Pick up a copy on newsstands, subscribe, or visit gazettenet.com. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, covering the Pioneer Valley since 1786. Does your partner threaten or isolate you? Do they control where you go, who you talk to, or what choices you make? Are you afraid of what they might do? You have the right to a healthy and safe relationship. If you're experiencing abuse, emotional, verbal, physical, Safe Passage is here for you. It's all free and completely confidential. Call our helpline to explore your options and plan for safety. That's 413-586-5066, Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Or visit safepass.org today. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. We continue our conversation with Michael Clare, who is Professor Emeritus of Peace and World Security Studies at Hampshire College. Buzz, during the break, you brought to our attention breaking news. Literally breaking news. Yeah, there is, uh, it's in Newsweek. It's also in Reuters. Uh, it's reported by Ellie Cook that there is a video that's just been released by uh, Ukraine uh, the Ukraine Intelligence Service, showing a huge Crimea blast as Ukraine targeted a Russian missile system, which looks like a large anti-ship missile launcher uh, based in the Russian-controlled part of Crimea, followed immediately by the president of Ukraine. Uh, president Zelensky called a news conference and said, we are going to regain Crimea. Do you know, know anything about that, Professor Michael Clare? We've given you a full 30 seconds to digest all this. <laughs> Uh, uh, apparently, there was also attacks on a Russian um, ammunition dump in Crimea, which led to massive explosions. So you may be conflating uh, a number of attacks. Uh, one of the anti-aircraft system S-400, which is the Russians' most advanced anti-aircraft missile system, which was put out of operation, it seems, um, as well as uh, ammunition, uh, ammunition dump, which has been continues to explode and uh, has caused the evacuation of thousands of people in Ukraine. So this seems to be a part of a, a concerted effort on, on the part of the Ukrainians to demonstrate to Russia 
and to the Crimeans in particular that Crimea is no longer safe from Ukrainian attack and that the Ukrainians intend to bring the war to Crimea. Uh, whether this is just going to continue to be air and missile attacks or uh, sabotage from within or whether they intend to actually invade Crimea is unclear at this point because their forces, their ground forces are still uh, distant, relatively distant from Crimea. I want to get back to the ground forces in just a minute, but I would like your perspective on this. Every time that Ukraine attacks Russia with some kind of drone, drones, or uh, makes an attack in Moscow or otherwise comes close to Russia, it seems to me that Russia retaliates by sending missiles to to civilian-occupied areas and cities and towns in Ukraine. Does Ukraine take an enormous risk by attacking in this way? Well, uh, let's put things in the right order. Russia has been attacking uh, Ukrainian civilian facilities and population centers since the beginning of the war and bombing apartment houses since day one. Which is a war war crime, we should point out. Yeah, these are war crimes. They've been doing this repeatedly over and over and over again. Every day they bomb apartment buildings hospitals and schools. So uh, yes, uh, by retaliating against that, Ukraine will prompt more Russian attacks on on apartment buildings, hospitals and schools. And the Ukrainians are now used to this. Uh, it's, so they know there will be more of this, but it'll be more of the same. This has been the Russian operating procedure since since the beginning of the war. And I want to point out, Michael Clare, you constantly remind us Ukrainians always say this is a counteroffensive. They make sure that 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 we know that they are responding to the damage that's done to them. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's been from the very beginning when Russia attacked uh, the Ukraine on February 20th, 2022. They began by attacking civilian suburbs of Kiev. And we know the horrors that occurred in those attacks. And this has been consistent ever since. Michael Clare, I've asked you on this show a number of times. When does this war end? How does this war end? And the point that you have made a number of times is that eventually there will be a settlement, but it will but the terms of that settlement, the reality of that settlement, will be based on who controls what portion of Ukraine when the time comes. And leaving aside for a moment these, very significant, apparently very significant attacks by Ukraine on Russian uh, military positions in Crimea today. The issue of what land Ukraine controls in Ukraine is paramount. And the front page story in the Times, again preceding these attacks, troop positions preventing gains by Kiev, U.S. says. And the article goes on to report that US mili- the U.S. military thinks that Ukraine is not being successful 
in terms of taking land back in this counteroffensive and that the positions of the troops are the allocation of the troops is actually misguided on behalf of the uh, military leadership in Ukraine. And by the way, there's not an endless amount of time for this counteroffensive on the ground to succeed because winter will be here before you know it. I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that. Uh, you know, I'm, it's very hard for somebody sitting in Northampton, as we all are, to to uh, judge these matters, uh, judge not only, you know, the Ukrainian generals, but the New York Times specialists of the Ukrainian generals. Uh, so we have to exercise a bit of humility in all of this. My sense is that the uh, that that the, the Ukrainians are fighting the war, not the American generals, and not the New York Times uh, analysts are fighting the war. It's the Ukrainians who are fighting the war, and uh, maybe maybe the U.S. generals have a point. Uh, my sense is that the Ukrainian generals. Uh, understand that they have to do two things at once. They're conducting an offensive to try to uh, break the Russian lines, especially in the south, but there are still vast Russian armies uh, in the east, in the Donbas region, that could mount another attack. And the Russians are fully um, prepared uh, and have have every intention of reinvading Ukraine, including Kiev and Kherson. So the Ukrainians have to maintain uh, at least some forces in the north and in the east to be to hold back uh, any possible new Russian offensive. And the Russians have been engaged in offensive actions in the Northeast. So uh, perhaps it's overly cautious on their part to keep uh, so much of their forces there to defend against possible Russian attacks. But they're, they're the ones who have to defend their country, not, not uh, analysts from the New York Times and American generals. So maybe they're being overly cautious in that respect, but but they're they're the ones fighting the war, not us. To your point, Michael Clare, deep in the story, a very long story in the New York Times today, there is this sentence: "Quote: American officials' criticisms of Ukraine's counteroffensive are often cast through the lens of a generation of military officers who never have experienced a war of this scale." and intensity. Moreover, American war doctrine has never been tested in an environment like Ukraine's, where Russian electronic warfare jams communications and GPS, and neither military has been able to achieve air superiority. I'd like to go to the next sentence and ask your impression. Quote, American officials said Ukraine has another month to six weeks before rainy conditions force a pause in the counteroffensive. Already in August, Ukraine has postponed at least one offensive because of rain. Is the weather going to stop this counteroffensive by Ukraine? Uh, now you're asking me uh, something well beyond my expertise about. The I'm only asking and, you to predict the weather. Come on, that's yeah, not the, how, how yeah, hard. So, how hard can it be? Uh, uh, the the answer is 
my my impression is at this point that the Ukrainians and the Russians believe that the war is going to continue for a long time to come, and that 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 that, uh, that this offensive is not the only major thrust in the war. Uh, I wish it were otherwise, but that's the way it seems to be playing out. Uh, Vladimir Putin certainly shows no intention of ending the war, slowing the war down, or, or, or of settling uh, settling with, with Ukraine. He shows every intention of continuing to fight, and the Ukrainians show no intention of giving up their, their intent to reclaim all of their stolen territory. So, uh, although I, I wish there was some, some road to, to a early peace settlement, it doesn't look that way to me. It looks like they'll continue fighting and they'll adapt to changing conditions, including rain. For today, we leave it there. We have been speaking with Michael Clare, Professor Emeritus of Peace and World Security Studies at Hampshire College, defense correspondent for The Nation magazine. Thank you for your time, as always, Michael Clare, and for your insights. We really appreciate it. Sure thing. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Amherst School Committee will meet tonight to discuss a temporary or interim superintendent. The meeting will be held in the high school library at 5.30 and will most likely begin with an executive session. The committee also needs to reorganize after the sudden resignation of Chair Ben Harrington on Monday. This has been a tumultuous time for the school, with Dr. Michael Morris stepping down as superintendent, a decision that was described as mutually agreed upon. Back in May, several staff members were put on leave as a Title IX investigation began into the handling of reported LGBTQ plus bullying. The Massachusetts Peace Officer Standards and Training Commission released a list of police misconduct allegations this week that resulted in internal investigations. Local journalist Dusty Christensen reviewed the list and said the database is lacking some crucial information. A large number of complaints do not get sustained by police departments, especially when it's a civilian that initially made that complaint against a police officer. Christensen said that other reporters are finding cases they believe should be included in the database are not there. Congressman Jim McGovern wrapped up his 13th annual farm tour yesterday with a stop at Berkshire Brewing Company in South Deerfield. McGovern was joined by Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll, Senators Joe Comerford and Paul Mark, Reps Natalie Blay, Lindsay Sabadosa, and Mindy Dom, among others. They were there in an effort to raise more money to add to the Massachusetts Farm Resilience Fund. Applications to the Resilience Fund are now open, and money is expected to begin being dispersed on September 1st. Another bright one today. Plenty of sunshine all day. A light breeze from the north and a high of 74 to 78. Variable clouds tonight. Overnight lows of 52 to 58. Mostly cloudy tomorrow with scattered showers in the afternoon. A high of 70 to 74. A steadier rain on Friday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP.
Does your knee pain keep getting worse? How about that pain in your shoulder, hip, or back? Don't let them tell you steroids and surgery are your only options. Call QC Kinetics now. QC Kinetics can make that pain go away with all-natural advanced regenerative medicine. They're helping people here every day with these amazing natural treatments that restore and repair damaged joint tissue. It's like turning back the clock. Regenerative medicine uses concentrated healing agents from your own body to stimulate that damaged tissue in your joints so they can work again like they're supposed to and there's zero downtime qc kinetics is the nation's leader in this exciting medical breakthrough patients here are getting real lasting relief and are saying no to surgery and drugs if you have pain due to injury or arthritis check out this remarkable option and the consultation is free call qc kinetics now at 413-992-5450 413-992-5450 413-992-5450 Hi, this is Jessica from Fitness Together. I meet clients every day who tell me that as the number on their scale grew higher, their self-esteem dropped lower, and going to a traditional gym absolutely terrified them. Here at Fitness Together, we'll work with you one-on-one, either virtually or in one of our private suites in Amherst or Northampton. We'll help you set and reach your fitness goals, and most importantly, smile every time you look in the mirror. Fitness Together in Amherst and Northampton. Your self-worth is worth Fitness Together. You love your car. We all do. It's part of our DNA. If your vehicle gets into an accident, the people to turn to are the collision experts at Fort Hill Collision Services in Amherst. Fort Hill lets you leave your concerns at the door. They'll fix your vehicle to better than factory standards and deal with your insurance company from start to finish. Fort Hill is locally owned and operated. They're part of the community, and they guarantee the work they do every time. Trust Fort Hill Collision Services, Route 9, Amherst, and online at forthillcs.com. Welcome to Via Con Munoz with Natalia Munoz, who is the news director for Holyoke Media. We'd like to introduce her by bringing up a story that is breaking about a complaint at Greenfield Community College. Buzz, what do you have? Well, what I have is I just received this uh, this morning. Um, It's a complaint to Greenfield Community College that was on somebody's uh, Facebook post, and apparently it is representative of a number of complaints. I'm just going to read it. I'm not sure if anyone has seen this, it says, but this violent arrest was flagged by what, several what, what officers. What violent arrest are we talking about? I'm, I'm about to tell you. Was was flagged by several officers of, the, of rank in Northampton. Here is the video. The chief decided there's no need for discipline despite several city poli- policies being broken. She hired the troubled former head of the state police who investigated the offensive attack on this woman in the car in Northampton. And they found nothing wrong. I'm also troubled that Greenfield Community College employs Northampton's chief, Jody Casper, who found nothing wrong with the beating of a 60-year-old woman. As a professor and a member of the Criminal Justice Advisory Board, I emailed Greenfield Community College President Michelle Schutt and asked her to send a strong message that GCC does not condone excessive force of the type that happened in Northampton. Her address is president at gcc.mass.edu. And this Facebook post was circulated among people at GCC, including the uh, coordinator of the criminal justice program, uh, David Lenoy. Yeah, I'd like to point out that uh, 
the chief did hire a group. There's a lot of criticisms of the group that was hired, but it is purports to be an independent investigative group uh, made up of law enforcement professionals who reached the determination that I, I don't know how they did this, but they did, that there were no violation of any Northampton Police Department policies uh, in this uh, traffic stop uh, and, and Bill was asking, what is a traffic stop? The uh, woman's name is Marisol Driush, um, who was a 60-year-old woman who uh, English is her second language. She was stopped at midnight, yanked out of her car. She was stopped ostensibly because there was a headlight out, yanked out of her car, thrown on the ground. Another officer came and sprayed her, pepper sprayed her. So I, I don't twice. know. Twice. Twice. Who better to talk about it than Natalia Munoz? Yeah, and we point, this happened on King Street in Northampton, and she was a driver for, I believe, DoorDash. So, Natalia Munoz, you are the news director of Holyoke Media. What's your analysis of what happened to Marisol Driush? Well, my take on this woman, uh, Holyoke resident, the way she was treated, mistreated by that police officer, Michael Celu, is that how you say? Celu? Yes. S-E-L-L-E-W-E. A Chief Casper, as the mayor of Northampton, Shiara both uh, spoke very clearly against how this officer handled the situation. Um, and then secondly, um, it's I go back to um, Audrey Lord. You can't dismantle the master's house with the master's tools, meaning the policies that were created were created by white men. Therefore, we are following policies and policies are, 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 is, are being used to say this officer was okay. He handled it fine. He, he adhered to the policies. Chief Casper said, okay, well, this is what an independent investigation found. This is what the policies say. Still, she put him on desk duty and ordered him to take a class on how to communicate well with the public. So even though he got off pretty well, he, he, he hasn't been suspended, he hasn't been docked pay, but he has been a, directed to learn how to communicate better with the public. And, yeah, and, and how to engage in de-escalation techniques instead of making it a mild, relatively unimportant traffic stop into a major confrontation with a civilian uh, where there is significant, I think, injury uh, to the the individual, not necessarily physical injury, but obviously being thrown to the ground uh, causes pain. Uh, that said, uh, I, my guess is, and I don't know this, but my guess is that Chief Casper was looking for an independent investigation that would give her some grounds to impose discipline. Be and she went outside because there would have been obvious questions if the Northampton police had investigated itself in this instance. She was critical of what the officer did. The mayor was critical of what the officer did, but they're stuck with this report by a so-called independent investigation saying no, there were no violations of Northampton Police Department policies, which leads me to the question, is there something wrong with the policies? Because what There's happened here is so lot. wrong. There's absolutely a lot wrong with the policies. Once you watch the video, and you see how this woman was mistreated, how these policies can support this officer saying he did well. 
what men still need to learn, all men, is that when you present yourself to a woman, even if you're a police officer, you are very intimidating. You have a gun, you have a clubs, you have a pepper spray, you have the those 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 things that sting you and disable you, uh, laser guns. And we know of mistakes that have been made by officers who use this these kind of uh, weapons. And it's interesting that the two people who publicly said, no, that was not right, were women, Police Chief Jody Gasper and Mayor Sierra. The policies were written by men. So of course this man is protected. Of course his behavior, his abusive behavior is ruled, well, he did what you know the policies allow. How in the world do policies allow an officer to treat someone like that? Have, has this man never watched the video of Sandra Bland being stopped for a similar reason and who questioned a, the officer who told her to put out her cigarette and she said, well, why do I need to put out my cigarette? And that escalated the officer and it ended up with her with a noose around her, her neck. She took her own life. She could not handle the arrest, what had happened, the trauma of how she was mistreated. This woman in the same way, so severely mistreated that it, it, <laughs> it pains me to be in agreement with her lawyer, Dana Goldblatt, because Dana is a very, you know, defund the police person. I've never believed in that at all. I think that's absolutely silly. And you guys remember when the city council defunded, you know, I think it was 10% of the police budget or 5%, and that resulted in officers of color not being able to be hired. And, and new cruisers that are good for the environment, not to, able to be purchased. So I think that Jody, the Chief Jody Casper, is handling this the best way she can, given that policies say this officer was within his right to be abusive. This uh, this is Buzz uh, Natalia. I am really interesting interested in hearing your response to this. When Bill talked about. Uh, unnecessary escalation. This is like exhibit A of what unnecessary escalation and a failure to de-escalate a situation is. But to me, as somebody who, is, who used to be fairly fluent in Spanish and who has a lot of friends, English is a second language, I would really like to approach this officer and just say to him quickly, uh, faro roto, faro roto, which is, mm -hmm. uh, you, you translated to a broken headlight. And she made it so clear, I do not understand. I do not mm -hmm. understand. And mm -hmm. because she didn't understand what he was saying as broken headlight, which has no resemblance to faro roto, mm -hmm. she ends up on the ground being uh, injured and uh, pepper sprayed. Yeah, she's abused. She's abused by this officer. You're right. English is her second language. She's scared out of her mind, as would anybody, when a police officer fully armed starts yelling at you and being pulled from the car just this and then he talking into this radio that there's a fight going on as if he was fighting mike tyson and he was with a, a 60 year old woman small and he's a big guy and he's reporting to you know an apb all points bulletin that oh my goodness there's a fight going on between him and a suspect and it's just no no it's not it's between a bully and a woman. That's what's going on. And this officer must have been a bully in other parts of his life to treat someone like this over a broken headlight. And Bill Matt, and Natalia, we have to point out 
all those charges that he trumped up against Marisol uh, Druish, ultimately the DA took one look at him and said, we're dismissing all that. She's only responsible for a broken headlight. Yeah, DA Sullivan, you know, I, I can't imagine, I mean, I, I can sort of imagine because I know him a little bit. He must have looked at these charges and said, what in the world is going on with this officer? This is crazy. And he's not going to put any more effort into prosecuting this woman. Um, I think the city is very vulnerable. The police department is very vulnerable to a large monetary lawsuit because of this officer and, the, and that this officer protected by the union. And I have said this before, police unions get in the way of what we want to, what we aspire to become as a cities and towns with police departments. We do not want people who escalate. We want people who de-escalate. We don't want people to be mistreating people. We want people to be treating people, police officers, treating people uh, with respect. Bill. We, we are speaking with Natalia Munoz, who is the news director at Holyoke Media. I would like to know from you, Natalia, whether the fact that this woman is from Holyoke, whether this has in any way uh, become a significant matter in Holyoke, uh, as it has in Northampton. Can you help us understand that? Yes, in Holyoke, people are talking about it. Uh, you know, when people talk about Northampton in Holyoke, unfortunately, it, it the, the, what pervades is the so-called tofu curtain. And there in Northampton, you know, they're all different and super privileged. And it's true, pretty privileged over there in Northampton for the most part. But it's it it feels like the entirety of Anglo culture descended on this woman. And that is how the talk is, is that how this, this American, white American abusing this Latina. And there's no, there's no, there's no justification, of course, for that. Um, and it's just more of a, you know, this officer, Michael Celu or uh, Celu, I'm trying to figure out how to say his name, Celu. How do you pronounce that that name, bud? I would say I'd say it rhymes with fellow. It oh, like okay, cello, cello. Okay, thank you. He's a stain on the Northampton Police Department, which is in its vast majority of officers are extraordinary. I had an encounter with one in, a few weeks ago. I had a child in the backseat of my car who was lethargic. I called the nine one one. I said, I had this child, I needed an escort to the hospital and I was told to stop. And I said, I cannot stop, I gotta get to the hospital. And they came rushing, ambulance, police officers, and there was particular a, a, a police officer, if I could only remember her name, a, she just dealt with the situation so beautifully as did the rest of the police officer who, officers who were on the scene with enormous compassion and the professionalism as did the fire department with their ambulance. So I think that Selu, Officer Selu, is a stain on the Northampton Police Department because the Northampton Police Department is those officers that did show up in an emergency to help with this uh, situation of a child who was lethargic. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back in two minutes, we're going to talk about the importance of those cruiser cams because without the camera and the video, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We'll be right back. Because you are young and proud. 
This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday the Blue Heron? Correct! They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. The Blue Heron, the restaurant in the grand old town hall building in the center of Sunderland. Good food, good service, an ever-changing menu, and a signature martini you'll come back for again and again. There's nothing quite like the Blue Heron. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. Mom, tell us about Tom Lake. A woman and her three daughters gather at the family's northern Michigan orchard where, while picking cherries, the daughters beg their mom to tell stories of the famous actor she long ago shared a stage and a romance with. Mom dishes, and the daughters soon find themselves examining their own lives, reconsidering the world and everything they thought they knew. Tom Lake, new from powerhouse author Ann Patchett. Pick up Tom Lake at Northampton's independent bookstore, Broadside Bookshop. Jay Burnham here, voice of the Massachusetts Minutemen. Touchdown, Massachusetts! Football season kicks off Saturday from New Mexico State against the Aggies. Join me and Patriots legend Pete Brock starting with a pregame show at 6.30 right here on your new home for UMass football, WHMP. Our school communities thrive when they address students, families, and educators' well-being. That's why the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education offers schools and districts the tools to meet these needs through our Office of Student and Family Supports. Caring for each other, growing together, back to school, better. Visit doe.mass.edu slash growing together. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Using WIC is easier than ever. You can use the WIC card instead of checks for your food purchases. WIC is a free nutrition program that helps working families stretch their food budget and make healthy choices. Visit us at mass.gov slash WIC. Brought to you by the Massachusetts Department of Public Health's WIC Nutrition Program. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. We continue our conversation with Natalia Munoz, news director at Holyoke Media. Buzz? Well, we, we, we led that last segment, Natalia, with uh, talking about the GCC. They have to deal with uh, some objections to Jody Casper uh, continuing as a, an adjunct professor teaching criminology in their criminal justice program. And there's now an objection because of the finding that the police officer was in, was compliant with policies. What do you think about that? Which we point out was not her determination and not what she said, but was by the so-called independent Consultant. investigative yes. group. You know, I would like to take the woke fascists who think they're super liberal and super on top of everything and put them on a plane and ship them out of the country if they're fly them out of the country. Because for Jody... Chief Jody Casper is an extraordinary police chief, and GCC is lucky to have her teaching there. And that some people decided, oh no, let's get rid of her. Let's, you know, this whole culture of we're going to fire you, we're going to cancel you, we think you're a monster. That is wrong, and that has to be stopped. GCC is lucky to have her as a police chief. This police chief has been dumped on so much by the woke culture of Hampshire County. I just give her you know, kudos that she can put up with the ridiculous criticism of her leadership. She's a woman, she's a lesbian. She is a, a forward thinking law enforcement officer. 
leave her alone. Let her do her job. Stop stressing her out. You know, these woke people. Stop Bill, it. How this does is Natalia why Trump feel got about into this? office the first time because of the woke people who couldn't stand Hillary. This these are the 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 remnants of that sort of thing. These are the breadcrumbs, these woke people. Let's wipe them off the table and move on. I think that's a little, a little, a little excessive to say the least. But Natalia, we do understand how you feel. I'd like to get a buzz in on this for uh, the the few seconds we have left about the importance of the cruiser cam. Oh my goodness! Uh, without the, anybody who complains about the cruiser cruiser cam as an expense, it is the way that we can add transparency to what otherwise is always invisible, the stops by police officers, the, uh, uh, not just altercations, but interactions and the appropriateness of uh, policing. Uh, it is important that we have access to it, especially in a situation like this. And I, I agree with you, Bill. This is exhibit A for how important they are. Yeah, and the interesting thing, of course, is this, uh, one interesting thing is this officer knew he was being videotaped and recorded and I guess he didn't think he was doing anything wrong or he was so out of control that he just didn't have that awareness front and center. In a really mind. important policy is that police officers should be sanctioned if they turn it off. That's for you gotta sure. You got to change the policies. You got to change the policies. White man can't be writing the policy. Natalia Munoz, thank you for your time. Buzz thank Eisenberg. you both. Thank you all. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka, polka carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning polka carousel to the airwaves of the valley, playing the polka classics and the latest polka hits. There are polka hits? Brought to you by Saluzniak Funeral Home, Northampton's funeral home for over 110 years and four generations of unparalleled, thoughtful memorial care. It's polka carousel every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, WHMP. The Northampton Community Music Center provides quality, accessible music education to more than a thousand members of the greater Northampton community. Hi, this is Jason Trotta, Executive Director of the Northampton Community Music Center. Our scholarship fund helps those with limited means access affordable music instruction and has never turned away a qualifying applicant in its 33 years of existence. To find out how you can help, please visit our website at ncmc.net. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to Talk the Talk. I am Buzz Eisenberg. And I'm Bill Newman. And uh, we are really uh, thrilled to have in the studio with us the Register of Probate, the Probate and Family Court in Franklin County, John Merrigan. Hello, John. Good morning. Good morning. So, uh, I remember, uh, I have so many memories of you back when you were representing uh, Greenfield and, and your district then was a little bit different than the uh, district now, but um, you were uh, faced with an important vote. Um, I think that it was in the mid-90s. Um, I think that there was an event that uh, inspired a rediscussion, a new discussion about passing uh, a bill that would uh, restore the death penalty in Massachusetts. And you were the representative. I remember a lot of conversations that you were having with people back then. I just want to sort of tickle your memory. And the reason why is uh, 
Bill, you and I have been discussing with a number of our uh, have faith clerics who uh, regularly appear death penalty. And uh, it's particularly inspired by what happened in Pittsburgh at the Tree of Life Synagogue, uh, where the death penalty was given to the uh, murderer of 11 people in that synagogue. So John Merrigan, you uh, were you played a huge role in whether or not Massachusetts got the death penalty. Can you just reminisce about that story? Sure. Happy to. Uh, you know, I came into the legislature in 1995, and, you know, there was a lot of uh, change. Uh, Speaker Flaherty had moved on. Speaker Finneran had taken over uh, as speaker. And, you know, there was a, a real tragic uh, murder in Boston of a young boy, a 10-year-old boy named Jeffrey Curley. Uh, and it was it was two men, I think, you know, had, had tortured him, uh, put him in a container, and throw him in the river. Um, and the Republicans had, you know, every year brought up the death penalty just to try to see where the Democrats would go, to see if it hurt our party by voting against it. And, you know, at that time I had, you know, 12-year-old son, 10-year-old daughter, four- and five-year-old boys. Uh, so I was horrified by what had happened. Um, I, you know, it wasn't an easy vote. I, I was fully planning to vote for the death penalty, and, and the Senate had already passed their version of the death penalty. And from there, we just, you know, it became deadlocked. And, and you know, there was at one point when you go to engross the bill, uh, the, the final step before enactment, it was 81 to 79 to engross. Uh, to pass. To engross, and then the, the, the next vote is to enact. Uh, so the leadership had to find one vote, uh, and that one vote was a John Slattery representative from Peabody. Uh, he didn't come to it lightly. I didn't come to it lightly, but ultimately it was an 80-80 vote, and the tie vote in the, in the House loses. So John Merrigan, I, I remember that vote. Clearly, I remember all the lobbying we were doing, those of us who were involved with Massachusetts citizens against the death penalty. I remember how Slattery uh, was both a hero and a villain. There was enormous pressure on the legislature because there was a horrifying murder, and a horrifying murder engenders calls for the death penalty. wondering how you reacted to that personally, and what changed your mind? I, you know... People approach me, you know, the, I learned a lot from, you know, people like Buzz and others in the community that Innocence Project was, you know, had a lot of information that was available. And, you know, I had to kind of separate my personal, you know, approach to, to, to do what my constituents wanted me to do. And over, over a week and a half, I must have had 200 calls on my house phone. And I took as many of them as I could. I talked to many, many people for hours and hours and hours. The most, the biggest issue I ever encountered when I was there. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, the curly dad who had advocated for the death penalty, you know, in the chamber, he was in there when I spoke, when I took the floor. And I felt like I was letting him down when I said I'm voting against it. But I had to separate my personal, uh, my personal desires to, to get revenge on these, these killers because you learn so much that there's so many people, even now, being let out that didn't commit the crime uh, that they were accused of 10, 20, 30 years ago. So, you know, the, 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 
information was there, the data's there that shows many people are wrongly convicted. And back then, you know, it wasn't as obvious. It, the resources on the internet weren't as obvious. Um, so, you know, I came to my own decision. But my wife, my kids did not even know what I was doing until the morning of when I was leaving for Boston. The argument against the death penalty that I think convinces a lot of people ultimately is that if there's a horrible murder and you want to kill him yeah. to get even, to get vengeance, to kill somebody, yep. leave aside the bloodbath that we're creating yeah. and leave aside that the person may be innocent. What you have is a death, if you want the death penalty, is a death penalty system. And the death penalty system, the architecture of it, is going to kill innocent people. It's going to be racist. It's going to be arbitrary. It's going to be wrong. It's going to be horrifying. But someone you want killed might get killed. But the cost of killing someone you want, who may not be the same person someone else wants, well, that's just unacceptable in a civilized society. And I'm wondering if that's the argument that ultimately convinced you. I think a lot of things, you know, growth and, and experience has convinced me that crime and punishment, you know, back at that time, there was all the discussion around min, man, uh, minimum mandatory sentencing uh, that, that, you know, judges didn't like to have that imposed upon them, that they were required to follow a certain guideline for a certain crime. And I think that leadership in, in the trial court has changed, and, and it's kind of trickled down to all of us through you know, the days of Margaret Marshall and Robert Mulligan as our leaders, that was crime and punishment. You you commit the crime, you do the time. You know, Paula Carey and others, you know, uh, Harry Spence at the time, you know, they gave us a lot more leeway in our communities to try to help people recover. And, and it kind of goes into some of the work we're doing now, but, uh, you know, with the Justice Center and, you know, helping people, you know, navigate the system and, and hopefully get back on their feet and get, you know, back into the community. As, as the sheriff says, we can't incarcerate our way out of some of these problems that we're facing uh, in the community now. And, and, you know, I think the trial court has become a kinder, kinder gentler, uh, you know, uh, 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 part of our government and, and that they're, you know, they're helpful, they're supportive, and, and it, we all appreciate it at the local level because – you know, 20 years ago, you felt like they weren't listening to you at all. I uh, We are talking with Register of Probate up in the Franklin County Probate and Family Court. I think you've been there for over two decades as the Register of Probate, John Merrigan. Uh, and you come from a family of attorneys. Your father, uh, Tom Merrigan, was a colleague of mine, as was your brother, Tom Merrigan, who sat as a, a judge, I think, for 12 years, uh, the presiding judge in the Orange District Court. Right. You have another brother who is from Boston, I think, who who does civil as a civil practice. So you've been in and around the law as register of probate. Obviously, you are now as well. You began to talk about. I should just point out you were succeeded in the legislature by then Representative Chris Donlan, who had been your aide. Um, your two families had a long connection with each other and. Um, he is now the sheriff of Franklin County, together with District of Sol- District Attorney David Sullivan and Sheriff Chris Donnellan, and you uh, you created the opioid task force. Can you tell us about its origins and what we should know about it now? Sure, sure. I, you know, it's been a great partnership. I didn't know Dave Sullivan, uh, you know, before he ran. My father did, and, and I remember there was five people in the race, and and. Hampshire County, and I'm running my own race. And I said, 
you know, one day my dad walked in. He said, we're supporting Sully. I said, Dad, I'm, I'm running my own race, I, you know. But I got to meet Sully, Dave, the DA, thereafter, and I loved him, and I love him to this day. Chris is like a brother to me. Uh, we almost ran against each other, but our, our fathers had us sit down and hash it out. Uh, Chris being from Orange, me being from Greenfield uh, in the 11-town district. So, you know, we, we come together when crisis hit our community back in 2013-14, the opioid epidemic uh, just started coming on gangbusters. I was seeing grandparents coming in for guardianships in the probate and family court left and right. And, you know, these are people in their 60s that are now put back into the, the role of being the parent, caregiver, uh, and, you know. For their grandchild who had grandchild an opioid for, problem. Yeah, yeah, well, no, for their child who had a problem, and they had to take, you know, over the custody and, and raising the child. So, you know, not only the, the one that's misusing, you know, substances, it, it impacts the whole family. It, and you're, you know, one minute, you know, you're looking for, you know, a credit card that was stolen. And, and, and it, that, that disease, that drug, heroin, it started off as Percocets probably in the 2010-12 era. But then heroin quickly came available, you know, right away and, you know, it was kind of a pipeline 91 to Vermont, uh, and, and bags were cheap. At what point then, uh, then no, you were then registered at probate. Yep. Did you come to see it not as criminal activity, but instead as a medical problem? Yes. At yes. what point did you come to, under, to that understanding? I think working with Dr. Poti, our, our medical advisor for the task force, and learning, you know, what that drug, in the different drugs have for an impact on the brain, um, you know, how it's, you know, it's, it's just a terrible drug to get a hold of you. And, and, you know, the one thing we learned in the task force was instrumental is, is, you know, and, and not everybody agreed with it, but was using the section 35 process to break that cycle where people were being, you know, mistreated. They were being vandalized, stolen from in their own families. And, you know, we pulled out, we didn't have the tools. We had tools for drugs and domestic violence. That mean for more for alcohol and domestic violence and, and, you know, crime. Yeah, sure. You know, but I remember talking to Judge Masnick when this epidemic hit, and I said, what are we going to do? So He's since the, district, then, the presiding district court judge in Greenfield. Correct. So, I, you know, we have been successful in securing, you know, $5 million of grants over the past five years. Uh, we're, we're winding down on a couple of them. We we had a grant for the first ever family drug court uh, in the Commonwealth uh, under the leadership of Judge Beth Crawford, uh, who was phenomenal in that regard, and we partnered on that. That that wound down, and that model takes recovery coaches and brings them into the courtroom and tries to engage people into, you know, treatment and, and help and support. And these recovery coaches will take people to meetings. They'll take them to doctor's appointments. You know, navigators in the emergency rooms, you, you know, you go in there and, and they, they say, well, you know, we're not going to give you this. And they push you out the door. Now they kind of, you know, pull you in. They figure out, yep, you're chasing um, and they're, they're tr there to help you. And, and so we've changed the whole, the whole model where, you know, it's kind of a punishment model. You know, if you ever heard of the, you know, uh, uh, moral uh, uh, Recognition, 
uh, therapy approach is is something that's used in probation and the Commonwealth, and and we have resisted that. Uh, and, and in fact, the trial court is now looking. Chief Justice Bud uh, just put out a, a transmittal that uh, that that treatment. Chief was, Justice of the Supreme Judicial Court. Chief Justice Bud took over Judge Gantz, Chief Justice Gantz, who was a, another mover and shaker in, in trying to help you know, bring about uh, justice reform initiatives throughout the Commonwealth and under his guidance and leadership. She mentored under him, and, and you know, Governor Baker appointed her as a chief when Gantz suddenly died a couple years ago. Uh, you wrote to me, John Merrigan, and you said something which I was, of which I was unaware, the latest statistics from the State Department of Public Health shows that Franklin and Hampshire have shown a decline in opioid use to the extent that we could measure, while the rest of the state has seen seen an increase. Um, To what do you attribute that? You know, I think it was our willingness to, you know, step up as a community and, and acknowledge that we had a problem. And, you know, since that time, 2013-14, since the task force started, we've been to many other communities across the Commonwealth and, and showed them how we started our, our task force. I think many areas, many places, school districts were afraid to acknowledge the problem because they didn't want it to impact enrollment. They didn't want the reputation of their community to be jeopardized. And, and you know, I remember we went on Anthony Bourdain uh, for his show called Massachusetts, and business people, were, the chamber people, were coming out of their skin knowing we were recording a show, but we went on to make our point that we're doing something. Uh, we're not going to bury our heads, and, and I think the results are now coming out uh, with, the, with the data that came out from DPH a couple of weeks ago that shows us declining sharply compared to other uh, counties that are going up. I just want to point out that this is part of what was then called reinventing justice. It was restorative justice. Your brother, Tom Merrigan, then judge. My partner, Diane Esser, sadly now deceased. uh, And Lucinda Brown. And you and I and many others were responsible for this laboratory, they called it, of this notion called restorative justice, which has now infused itself nationally into the conversation about being less punitive, more restorative, and having a justice system that really seeks justice, not just punishment. We're talking with... Register of Probate from Franklin County, John Merrigan. We're going to be back, and when we come back, we're going to talk about Greenfield politics. We'll be right back after this. You can leave, Bill. In St. James Parish, I was born and christened. I've got my story. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. Find local news and local talk for the Valley. Which says we need to appeal to the wealthy white people of our region because the marginalized people do not have money. Which is true, but as we know, that's what happens when you have centuries of policies that are oppressive, that are racist. Where the heart of the Pioneer Valley lives. 1015 and 1400 WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. 20 years ago, we envisioned creating a brighter future for people and planet. Now, PV Squared celebrates a big milestone two decades of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar projects for homes and businesses in our community. 
TV Squared is a worker-owned co-op. When you partner with us, you get a team dedicated to the success of your project, from your first meeting to servicing your system down the road. Build SolarWrite and do business better. It's the co-op difference. Learn more at pvsquared.coop. Did you know that you can prevent domestic and sexual violence? You can say something. We all can say something. Together, we can do so much. Say Something is the domestic and sexual violence prevention program at Safe Passage. Join a prevention lab to build your skills and find opportunities to say something to prevent violence. Join us and help make your community safe and healthy for everyone. Get more information or sign up for a prevention lab at saysomethingnow.org. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find us online at northamptonneighbors.org or call us at 413-341-0160. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue our conversation with John Merrigan, who is the current Register of Probate in Franklin County. It's the Probate and Family Court, and who has talked to us about the importance of all of the programs out of that court, which someday I'd like to come back and review in greater detail. He was, prior to becoming the Register of Probate some 20 years ago for some seven years, the representative from the 2nd Franklin District. He is a force in Greenfield and Franklin County politics. And since we have you here, John, what I want to know is where do you stand on the Greenfield mayor's race? And in particular, what do you make of the criticisms that the current mayor, Roxanne Wiedegardner, who is running for re-election, that she's received with regard to how she's handled uh, the police and the police chief uh, controversy and other matters? Where are you on this mayor's race? You know, Greenfield is in my blood. You know, I was a selectman prior to being a state rep. and, and I'm sorry, I left that out of the box. That's okay. <laughs> So, you know, I, but for efficiency and for, for good leadership, you know, I promoted the mayoral form of government. So, you know, I want to see it succeed. Uh, my concern in this race is that we need experience going forward. There's a lot of resources in play from the state and federal government right now. And, you know, I, you know the, the, the opposition to uh, yeah, uh, uh, Roxanne is, is a woman named Ginny Disorder nice person. She's been on the council for, I think, one term, and that's basically her experience. Roxanne has sat on the school committee for uh, nine years, the planning board for even more. Uh, you know, so, I, you know, politics aside, I ran in a primary against Roxanne for state rep, and it was a, it was a hotly contested race. But, you know, back when she first ran, I looked at her and I said, she's the most qualified, and I still think she's most qualified. I the police chief, the, the, the issue with regard to race at the police department, I know Robbie Hagan. I've known him for 25 years. You know, I, He's the chief, Rob. Yeah. He, you know, he, he is in a, in a position where he has a number of officers under him. He can't control everything they do and say. And, and you know, the, the, the flag, the Confederate flag issue came up during the trial, which I'm sure inflamed the jury. 
Um, but Robbie doesn't have a racist bone in his body, Chief Haig. And, and, you know, people are just, they're going to the mat. They're going to they're gonna go for blood, and they're going to keep going for it. It happened prior to Roxanne taking over uh, as mayor, and she, she's been labeled with, you know, being the, the problem and the instigator of it. You know, is, is Ginny or, you know, anybody else going to say on the record that when they're elected, if they're elected, they're going to fire the police chief? But it's going to cost the town a million dollars if you do that because he's got a contract. And, you know, it's, it's a catch-22. But people really need to listen to those who have experience with, with you know, the, the individuals involved, like myself, with Rob Haig and, and some of his leadership. Um, you know, it, it's on appeal. We'll see how it goes. And, and This is that the, the Greenfield Police Department discriminated against the black officer who had, who had applied for a position, didn't get it. Um, and that went to a jury. It was a jury that just because of the logistics of the trial court, was actually from Hampshire County. It was tried here in Northampton, but it was a Franklin County case, and there was a verdict against the town of city of Greenfield, and it was some $300,000, but with costs and interests. and up to a million uh, dollars. It's up to a million dollars, which is, we point out, paid for by the insurance company, which is actually running the litigation. They are running, and you know how it works better than I do. It's, they are running the litigation. The town fires him. If they pull back you know, their support for them, they pull back their coverage for the town of Greenfield to the tune of a million dollars. So, you know, if you fire them, you lose. If, you know, you let them go, you probably lose doubly. So, you know, let I mean, it, let it play out in the, in the courts and, and, and make your judgment after, you know, the appeals and, and the, you know, if it goes to the SJC after that period, people can make their judgment on, on uh, Chief Hayes. Okay, so John Merrigan, you were part of the political community and the fabric of the community when Greenfield transferred from being a town form of government to a city form of government. Yeah. And you have made the argument here that Roxanne Wiedegarten deserves re-election uh, in part because of her experience and her ability as an administrator. What I'd like to know from you is whether or not you think she has succeeded in moving Greenfield along in that uh, continuation of the mayoral form of government and what you think the experience means, why you think you think it's so important now. I, you know, I think she's done a, a great job at building relationships. She, she's become very close with Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll. Uh, she knows the alphabet soup of agencies in Boston that, you know, fund economic development, that fund housing. Uh, you know, it, there's a, a, a great deal of resources that People, when you mention DHCD or you mention, you know, uh, BSAS or these acronyms, they look at you like you get three heads. And, and, you know, she knows where the resources are. She's learned, you know, through her prior, prior experience in government, you know, how state government works and, and where to tap in for resources for the town of Greenfield. So she's, she's the most experienced on the ballot right now. And, and I think it's critical that we keep her there. Uh, for the next term, and, and hopefully Ginny, if she's still interested, can get some more experience and, and come back and, you know, be a great contender in a, a four-year term from now. Is this going to be a tough political fight? For- I think it is. I think it is. I think there's a lot of, there's not just the police chief, the library, the new library, for whatever reason, there is a big contingent that 
blames her for that. The voters passed what, what's by the blame? Referendum. What you do wrong allegedly? Well, because it's a waste. It's a waste of dollars, and and you know people don't use it. Story in the front page of the Recorder today talking about Ed Berlin talking about how the use is way up, and and people are utilizing that that building, and and it's downtown. It's it's improved our our you know viability downtown. Greenfield Savings Bank is is planning to take over the the old library and preserve it historically and add jobs to our downtown economy. And, you know, you look at the hospital, you look at GCC, probably third to that is as an employer is downtown in terms of numbers of people that are working there. And I think, you know, it all blends together. And, and I don't buy the argument. I wasn't a great supporter of the library project. I voted for it but that, because I thought it was good for downtown. Uh, but a lot of people just want to blame her for something that was passed by the voters, by referendum. It, it, and it was funded, I think, 80-some-odd percent was funded by state grants and, and private donations. So you see that as a real victory for the city for which the mayor deserves credit, not Absolutely. blame? Absolutely, yeah. And it's, it's just mind-boggling that people want to blame her otherwise. We have been speaking with John Merrigan. He is the former rep for the second uh, uh, Franklin District. That was some years ago, but for many years has been the register of probate in Franklin. He is a real force in Greenfield and Franklin County politics. We really appreciate your time and your insights. Thanks so much for uh, being so, with I'm us. I'm so happy to be here and being live in person finally, on, on, not on Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Register. Thank you. We'll be right this back. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. The Amherst School Committee will meet tonight to discuss a temporary or interim superintendent. The meeting will be held in the high school library at 5.30 and will most likely begin with an executive session. The committee also needs to reorganize after the sudden resignation of Chair Ben Harrington on Monday. This has been a tumultuous time for the school, with Dr. Michael Morris stepping down as superintendent, a decision that was described as mutually agreed upon. Back in May, several staff members were put on leave as a Title IX investigation began into the handling of reported LGBTQ plus bullying. The Massachusetts Peace Officers Standards and Training Commission released a list of police misconduct allegations this week that resulted in internal investigations. Local journalist Dusty Christensen reviewed the list and said the database is lacking some crucial information. A large number of complaints do not get sustained by police departments, especially when it's a civilian that initially made that complaint against a police officer. Christensen said that other reporters are finding cases they believe should be included in the database are not there. Congressman Jim McGovern wrapped up his 13th annual farm tour yesterday with a stop at Berkshire Brewing Company in South Deerfield. McGovern was joined by Lieutenant Governor Kim Driscoll, Senators Joe Comerford and Paul Mark, Reps Natalie Blay, Lindsay Sabadosa, and Mindy Dom, among others. They were there in an effort to raise more money to add to the Massachusetts Farm Resilience Fund. Applications to the Resilience Fund are now open, and money is expected to begin being dispersed on September 1st. Another bright one today, plenty of sunshine all day, a light breeze from the north and a high of 74 to 78. Variable clouds tonight, overnight lows of 52 to 58. Mostly cloudy tomorrow with scattered showers in the afternoon, a high of 70 to 74. A steadier rain on Friday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. 
Smith Academy in Hatfield is accepting school choice applications now. With an average class size of 10, Smith Academy supports all students. They offer more than 20 clubs, 8 AP courses, 14 sports teams, work study, and internships, and free dual enrollment at HCC and Smith College. Computer science for all students. With a graduation rate of over 95%, most college bound, Smith Academy can prepare you for the next step. No cost to apply or attend. Call us or go to HatfieldPS.net and schedule a tour today. Our school communities thrive when they address students, families, and educators' well-being. That's why the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education offers schools and districts the tools to meet these needs through our Office of Student and Family Supports. Caring for each other, growing together, back to school, better. Visit doe.mass.edu slash growing together. Sponsored by the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education. Consumer Cellular's award-winning customer support is 100% based in the U.S. And you are 100% based in the U.S. That's something you have in common with Consumer Cellular's customer service. And Consumer Cellular customer service likes pizza. And you like pizza. And Consumer Cellular has an acute fear of spiders. And your fear of spiders is acute as well. So you already have so many things to discuss when you call Consumer Cellular to talk about our affordable and flexible phone plans. Consumer Cellular, when Freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. You're a nonprofit doing good work in the community. You want to let people know? That's easy. Talk to Hannah. Tell her you want to have a PSA on WHMP. If you're a community nonprofit, WHMP helps you communicate. Have an event? Need donations? Volunteers? Talk to Hannah. She'll help you craft a message and we'll run it at no cost. Hi, it's Hannah. Email me at hward at whmp.com or call me at 586-7400. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts and messages from community nonprofits. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And welcome back to the show. Um, Bill, I wanted to ask you about um, this database from post which is the uh the somewhat newly created uh massachusetts peace officer standards and training commission uh the acronym for which is post commission it's a statewide commission that's a police oversight board it's established as part of the criminal justice reform law in 2020 which happened in the wake of uh the epidemic of uh, uh claims of police violence and uh uh, abuse at the hands of the police that we saw nationwide. Um, yesterday, we interviewed um, Dusty Christensen, the freelance reporter, who said that um, despite the fact that Post yesterday released, I think it was some 3,500 um, uh, names of police officers who have been in, uh, 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 that there was misconduct alleged of that uh, Dusty Christensen says that it is only those that are substantiated that appear there um, rather than all the complaints um, of misconduct lodged against police. There's a an article in today's Gazette, Daily Hampshire Gazette, this is uh, Wednesday on page one, that says state opens police misconduct database. What are your thoughts about the database and the criteria for reporting? Well, I think we should start with the understanding that the debate the database is only for those incidents and regarding those officers there where there has been some kind of an official complaint 
So I went to the database to look to see what was what the entrance entries were for Northampton, and I suspect that you did the same thing for uh, Ashfield and Greenfield and towns in Franklin County. Uh, and in particular, I went to look to see what happened to the uh, what was the report, if any, on the officer who Luke Ryan and, and, and I brought a complaint about and it threatened litigation, of course, um, done the presentment letter to the city and written lengthy letters to the mayor, uh, not this mayor. Uh, it was David Narkowitz at the time and the police chief. Um, Jody Casper took over as police chief while this uh, litigation, potential litigation was unfolding, all of that. And I went to see what was said. Now, I'd point out that there was a viral video that went viral of this. The police officer walks by a young Hispanic man, takes out his pepper spray, sprays him in the eye. He's sitting doing nothing on the sidewalk, sprays him in the eye, uh, keeps on walking, and pretends as if nothing happened. That's what the officer did. It went viral, and the city settled the case or the uh, uh, the insurance company did it for fifty-five thousand dollars. Now that was a major event here. Uh, the officer clearly did something, I think, that was horrifyingly wrong. Uh, the mayor defended him uh, with some really quite ambiguous words. There was no real response ever as to what the defense was for taking out your pepper spray, putting it right in front of a young Hispanic man's eye, spraying him while he's sitting on the uh, on on the curb doing nothing at the time. There was no justification whatsoever it for sure using pepper. And sure isn't protecting and pre defending, that's for sure. There, there was no justification for using the pepper spray at that time. And what did you find on the post disclosures? There was no mention of this incident. There was one other incident involving, I guess, there was an internal complaint of some sort, but this doesn't even warrant a mention and I suspect that's because the Northampton police didn't ever report it. So I have, I have real difficulties with what is included and what is excluded on the, on the, on the report. Also, when you look at the post entries, the, again, Peace Officers Standards and Training Commission, when you look at them, it doesn't really tell you much of anything about what the event was about. And if you look at, uh, you know, uh, dishonesty or, and you look at the, uh, uh, discipline that was imposed, um, you really have to scratch your head and say, is this commensurate with the infraction? Because the post commission postings don't let you know. This is Dan. By way, well, Dan, I was just going to throw it to you because uh, by way of disclosure, both Bill and I, as attorneys, we're usually on the defense side of things, if not always defending those who are accused by uh, government of wrongdoing. So we, we do have a particular lens that we look at uh, policing and misconduct through. What about you as a citizen who's not uh, an attorney? Actually, so I'm not an attorney, and I'm glad you brought all of that up because my question to you is this. Um, uh, when police misconduct happens, alleged police misconduct, in any case, I'm not talking about any specific town or, or person or incident, what is internal affairs? Can, you, can one of you describe to me the process that happens when an allegation is made against a police officer today, because, you know, in, in the case that most happened recently uh, in Northampton, I guess there was an independent commission that's hired by the police chief or the mayor. I, I forget which one. But I've also heard about this institution that exists called Internal Affairs, which, from my understanding, is a police department that investigates 
police misconduct, but is that only when it arises to a beating, a violence, a killing? Like, I, I've never understood that. So I want to know, if, can you explain what that is? Well, first of all, every department has its own policies. Every department has its own uh, internal uh, affairs, uh, jurisdictional description. State law governs a lot of it that it must have such a department. But every it, single department has their own internal affairs. Every department has to have a way to e examine, explore uh, a complaint. Usually uh, called the Internal Investigation Unit. Are they police officers? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, in the larger departments, I mean, we have a lot of, uh, I think we have about 351 different departments or 347 different departments in Massachusetts. Yeah. But, um, it, you know, the larger ones have people who that's what they do, their internal affairs. And there's quite often a mistrust. or uh, Between the officers? Oh, the public is okay. never, how is it confident that there is going to be true right. independent analysis and investigation is not going to be skewered in the interests of police officers who are being complained against? It's, it's a problem. In this case, not a bad idea to send it to an independent investigative uh, consultancy to do the investigation. However, this one is, it, it's police officers, state police, and uh, prosecutors um, who are uh, looking at the behavior of police officers and determining whether or not they complied with policies which, as Natalia Munoz said, are often not strong enough to protect against misconduct. Bill? Well, a couple things. First of all, uh, IIU's uh, internal investigation unit officers uh, generally really don't like that job because it puts them in a position being adverse in investigating their uh, fellow officers. In uh, another point I think worth making is most attorneys who represent people who have been the victims of police misconduct don't trust those internal investigations at all. And most attorneys I know wouldn't would not advise their clients, actually, historically anyway, to make those complaints because it's not result in anything but exoneration uh, of the police officer. Or uh, if it is substantiated, instead of saying it's substantiated, what really comes out, it says, well, not substantiated, conflicting evidence, unable to make a decision, something like that. Dan, so, and, and just a quick follow-up here. Uh, does uh, Is there a state that allows uh, the uh, a non-police entity to investigate such police allegations made by the public? I mean, you're saying police officers investigate the police in an internal affairs. Is there a state in the United States that would allow, let's say, independent agency to investigate the police and not be police officers? It could be lawyers or civilians or whatever. Does that even exist? I'm just asking that question to see if there are different outcomes than having police investigate other police. And it seems like you're talking about there's not a lot of trust in the reports and what is made because it's the police looking into themselves. Sorry to bring that up, but as just a follow up for what you're saying. No, I, I can't speak to all 50 states, but I think generally speaking, it's it's internal. It's it is internal investigations. I think it might be worth going back to reading and sharing with our listeners a couple of sentences from the Daily Hampshire Gazette staff report, meaning a lot of people I assume were involved in this reporting. Dateline Massachusetts State Opens Police Misconduct Database. 30 officers in Hampshire County departments listed in document that dates to 1984. So let me share a couple of sentences from that. The state has opened a database containing disciplinary records for more than 2,100 Massachusetts police officers credibly accused of misconduct, including 30 officers who work 
or once worked in Hampshire County communities or colleges. Twelve officers from the Northampton Police Department face discipline, the most among county police departments, according to the database. And that's interesting. Uh, on one hand, one could say, well, what must be, things must be wrong with the Northampton Police Department, to which I would respond, well, maybe Northampton has actually taken these, uh, these reports or complaints more seriously and or does a self-investigation more than the other departments. So having the highest number does not tell you, does not answer the question, why is it the highest number? And that's something that really deserves some consideration. It does. It's an important point. Uh, and Dan, I just want to point out, I'm not sure if you're aware, but next Wednesday, the chair of the Public Safety Commission um, in Greenfield is going to be our guest, David Lenoy. He teaches in the community college. He's the, prof uh, the uh, program coordinator, the department chair of the criminal justice uh, program at uh, Greenfield Community College, which just received a complaint um, because Jody Foster, the chief of Northampton, uh, the complainant uh, on Facebook and in a, in a communication to the college, is demanding that she be fired as an adjunct professor of criminal justice at GCC because she didn't adequately address in that Facebooker's view um, the uh, the incident which we've been talking about involving Marisol Driush being yanked out of her car and thrown on the ground here in Northampton. Um, so we'll, we'll be able to ask a lot of these questions about the review of police conduct of the chair of the Public Safety Commission in Greenfield on Wednesday at 10 o'clock. I know that numbers can make people's eyes glaze over, but here are a few numbers that will not make your gla eyes glaze over. Who, how many officers have been complained about in which departments? And I mentioned 12 officers from Northampton. The Daily Hampshire Gazette story goes on to say, and I quote, other Hampshire County departments with officers who face discipline include South Hadley, Amherst, UMass Amherst, three each, East Hampton and Amherst College, two each, and Granby, Chesterfield, Hatfield, Belchertown, and Holyoke Community College, one each. In Hamden County, 15 police officers were listed, something we have talked about with Dusty Christensen on this show a couple of times. I would like to share one more sentence. Roughly 17%, and I'm quoting from the Daily Hampshire Gazette story, roughly 17% of police officers listed in the database received a written reprimand for their alleged misconduct. Another 12% got a written warning or a letter of counseling. And just over 9% were subject to retraining, according to the database. Get this, quote, fewer than 1% of officers in the database were demoted or offered a last chance agreement and just over 5% were handed a suspension of between 6 and 29 days. Which means that, well, most of these complaints can't be very serious. People just happen to go to the police department and say, oh, I have a complaint. Or the police department investigated themselves because they were mo motivated to be. How can there be these many complaints? Overwhelmingly, the, nothing happens. I think we, we all have to remember this. Uh, we live, you know, we say freedom is our most important commodity in this country. I know that you, Bill, on behalf of the ACLU, have fought for it, and so many have given their lives for it. And here's the deal. With a couple of little exceptions, the only legitimate users of force in this country 
are agents of the government, either the military or our law enforcement officials. Once in a while, we have you can you can defend yourself or just to be justified in defense of another to use uh, to use force. Uh, uh, so when we have people walking around carrying guns, carrying pepper spray, carrying handcuffs that can re- deprive you of your freedom, put you in a box, put you in a cage, allege wrongdoing, it is so important that that be transparent. And I think it's shameful. I mean, post the post commission is a great idea and. I'm so disappointed that it's failing to adequately inform us of the people that we entrust with that sacred duty of using, uh, the, having a right to use force against us, that we don't know how they use it, when they use it, why they use it. We should. We should. Well, I think that Post is trying to comply with its statutory mandate to make information available. And there was... A report last week, for example, that there were, for example, I don't know, 10 or 12 officers with the same name. And you better get that right because you don't want to accuse an officer who has had no accusation made against them of, of, of something that someone else did. So there have been some uh, confusing aspects of this, and Post was trying to get it right. You have to remember that the data that Post has is the data that's provided by the police department themselves, and the police department themselves, uh, they, they are operating under their own rules. There's not one uniform rule, except that if there's an internal report with discipline, then you have to report it to Post. Right, and if you include prison law enforcement, and you in- include some uh, things like uh, uh, VA hospitals, etc. They have law enforcement uh, units. Um, I think that there's something like 400 uh, agencies, police agencies, correctional agencies here in the Commonwealth for Post to keep track of. We're going to take a break and we're going to continue our conversation right after this. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. It's your home for the resistance. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Get informed, then get involved. I'm Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Program. Intelligent talk, opinion, and debate. Join me every weekday, noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 101.5 and 1400 WHMP. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, the Pioneer Valley's newspaper covering Holyoke to Deerfield and Belchertown to the Hilltowns, was awarded New England Newspaper of the Year for their local news coverage. Home delivered six days a week and online 24-7. Try their digital-only subscription options and stay connected with your community wherever you are. Pick up a copy on newsstands, subscribe, or visit gazettenet.com. The Daily Hampshire Gazette, covering the Pioneer Valley since 1786. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Local farmers are arriving at the co-op every day with summer berries, corn, tomatoes, and watermelon, and endless bounty. At the co-op seafood counter, little neck clams are rolling in. What goes better with corn and tomatoes than sweet, briny little necks? No time to cook today? The co-op makes pizza, sandwiches, burgers, sushi, and smoothies, and they make it all from scratch. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. 
Are you tired of feeling like a watchless hero in a world full of timekeeping villains? Fear not. Hero Watch Repair is here to save the day. With over 20 years of experience and a heroic five-star customer rating, Hero Watch is the ultimate superhero of watch repair and customization in the Valley. These heroes possess the power to buy, fix, sell, and customize watches like no other. They'll swoop in, rescue your timepiece, and restore it to its former glory. Call Avery at Hero Watch Repair, East Hampton. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. So the Republican National Committee is going to be holding a debate tonight that's going to be televised by Fox. I understand that the former president, uh, Donald Trump, will be uh, airing a, um, a, a previously recorded interview by the uh, Fox-fired um, host... Uh, Tucker Carlson, uh, who had sent Donald Trump, I read, um, previously sent the questions which he was going to ask him during this interview, and it's going to be aired at the same time as the uh, debate in order to detract viewers from his uh, opponents in the uh, quest for the nomination by the Republican Party for president. Uh, Dan, what do you think about Are you going to be watching? That's my first question. Are you going to watch the Republican debate? Yes, I will watch it. And uh, I, I will watch it live. And I don't know what I'm expecting to hear. I think it's going to be kind of a wild uh, feud internally. I mean, the news today is it's um, Vivek against uh, Ron DeSantis. So I expect that those two will, will fire at each other. And uh, I don't know what to get out of it. I mean, this is going to be the first of many debates. It will be a debate in September. Um, I think it's, I expect it to just kind of be a circus, but people will talk about it. And there's going to be a couple lines I'm sure that people are going to remember. And I'm sure Donald Trump's going to try to interrupt whatever limelight these candidates are getting, because that's his goal is to try to capture the media landscape and to have people talking about him and not the debate. Which is going to happen because he's going to be arraigned in Georgia. He's going to turn himself in. It will be a media circus as Trump turns himself into. Uh, as he's when, required to do in the jail in Georgia. When you're Fulton up 40 County points, as, as uh, uh, Josh, Silver. Josh Silver has said, um, hey, why not do this, right? You're capturing the news cycle. You're making the debate less prominent, and people are going to be talking about you. And that's one thing, you know, say what you want about Trump. That's one thing he excels at is his obsession about himself. And Josh Silver made the other Another point that I think is really worth noting. Uh, yesterday, on yesterday's show. On yesterday's show. And what, what he said was, it's the way in which the media covers the media that actually is more important than the debate itself. Explain now, that. I don't it, get that. It is the coverage of the debate and what the media says happened and what the mm -hmm. storylines become in both the mainstream media and online as well. But uh, what they say happened at the debate and what the narrative of the debate becomes is actually more important than the debate itself. And more people will hear uh, the analysis and watch individual clips than actually will watch the debate itself. Also, there's going to be a lot of uh, frustrated candidates who are participating in the debate afterwards looking to see if their name was mentioned in news reports. And the news report's going to say, Donald Trump, Donald Trump, Donald Trump didn't attend. And Un unless they say something out of the blue that just blows people away, that sounds crazy, right? That's the only way you capture that media landscape. And the question is, can anyone land a punch on Trump that will get a lot of media coverage? Yeah. 
Well, there you go. Well, it's going to be interesting. It's tonight, uh, and uh, we'll be talking about it tomorrow, I am sure. Thank you so much for joining us today on Talk the Talk. Remember, walk the walk. This is Talk the Talk. My name is Silas Kopp. I have long been a friend of Riverside Industries in East Hampton. For more than 50 years, they have empowered and supported adults with developmental disabilities. People are treated with dignity and respect, and the Riverside team helps them to reach their goals and even find employment in our area. You may not realize it, but you encounter people every day in our community that receive training and support from Riverside Industries. To learn more about the fine work that Riverside Industries does, go to rsi.org. I guess I called AA because alcohol didn't work anymore. Drinking used to give me a sense of meaning in life. I called AA not knowing what to expect, certainly not cheerfulness, but that's what I got. People had humor. They seemed to be at ease. I hung around. Now I feel much more comfortable with myself and the people around me. Alcoholics Anonymous. It works. Look us up. Online and in-person meetings. For more, call 413-532-2111 or visit westernmassaa.org. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's